Well, good morning. Hello, everybody. My name is John Mark Day, and I serve as the Director of Leadership and Campus Life at Oklahoma State University. I'm also really thrilled to be your host for the NASVA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the winter edition of New Directions for Student Leadership, which is titled Cultivating Students' Capacity for International Leadership. And to do that today, I'm thrilled to welcome the editors of that issue, uh, Dennis Roberts and Darby Roberts. Uh, by way of introduction, Dennis Roberts is an independent consultant and author. The last position in which he served in the United States was as Associate Vice President for Student Affairs at Miami University. He concluded his administrative career by leading a multicultural and multinational team to design and implement student development and support services for Qatar Foundation's Education City in Doha, Qatar. He is past president of the American College Personnel Association, ACPA, and has authored five books and over 50 book chapters and other articles on student affairs, student learning, internationalization, and leadership. Darby Lee Roberts is the Executive Director of International Student Services at Southern New Hampshire University. Previously, she has held positions within various student affairs capacities at Columbia University and Carnegie Mellon University in Qatar, serving student populations with the majority of international students. She's been involved in a number of professional associations' international work, including ACPA, NASPA, as well as the Association of International Educators, the Association of International Education Administrators, and the International Association of Student Affairs and Services. Welcome, Denny and Darby. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be with you. Awesome. We are so excited to have you here. We're going to start off by getting to know you both a little bit better. Uh, so, Denny, we'll start with you. In 1981, you wrote the book Student Leadership Programs in Higher Education, which is one of the original works in our field about developing leadership education. What do you think has, has changed since 1981, and then what do you think has remained the same for us? Right. Well, first, just as a context, I mean, it's just amazing that we wrote that 38 years ago. And uh, it was an edited book that came out of a task force group that uh, basically assembled authors uh, who had been working in student leadership programs in a variety of institutions around the U.S. And what was interesting at that point in time was we had been a part of conversations where we recognized that people were doing leadership development work, but without any kind of coherence or uh, focus in terms of that work. So our purpose in writing the 81 book was to assemble authors to contribute chapters that would give an idea of what a comprehensive strategy and a coherent strategy in leadership development learning would look like. And what's really amazing is that 38 years later, I mean, we didn't really understand that we were at the front end of a movement and a movement that has now become uh, very, very significant and reaching throughout student affairs and also reaching across to academic affairs as well. So um, it's kind of awe-inspiring to realize that sometimes when you're involved with uh, some really great people who think in a visionary sort of way, you can really make things happen. And this is one of those really extraordinary examples. And there there are a number of things that have changed. And 
uh, one of the things that's uh, very, very helpful to leadership educators this day, these days is that we have a body of literature that's very substantive, lots of research, lots of, lots of theory that now can inform our work, and there really wasn't that much in the late 1970s and early 80s. In addition, we have assessment strategies, and I'd, I'd identified particularly the multi-institution study of leadership, which is used on many campuses these days to uh, assess the impact of leadership learning. Uh, we have standards, so we have the Council on the Advancement of Standards, Student Leadership Standards, and those standards are primarily intended for people that work in student affairs rather than in academic affairs, even though there are references to uh, coursework. Uh, and then I think that uh, where we've done, even though the 1981 book advocated inclusivity in terms of leadership potential among all students, that whole idea has taken some time to take hold. A lot of leadership programs were very positional-oriented in, in uh, prior decades, and so you know you pay attention to presidents and chairs and so forth, but you wouldn't really work diligently to uh, cultivate leadership potential among all students. And I believe that our programs are much more uh, inclusive now. A uh, mm -hmm. couple of things that haven't changed. Um, we have over a thousand definitions of leadership now, and there's really no agreement as to what leadership is. And so programs are using various different kinds of models, and they may or may not try to integrate them in a meaningful sort of way. So I think that that's a very significant thing that has not changed, is that they're, it's kind of difficult to, to define what leadership is, even though programs will attempt to do that for themselves. And then I think another challenge that we still face is collaboration uh, across co-curricular and curricular programs. Uh, when we wrote the 1981 book, we thought some about academics, but not a lot. Uh, and these days, the academic focus uh, has become very significant in various academic programs across the country, and uh, some campuses still really struggle getting the academic and the student affairs folks to collaborate and work in a coherent sort of way. So unfortunately, that's, that's a, a piece that's not changed since 1981. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to me to hear how I think, you know, talking about one of the changes is this creation of this sub substantive body of literature, which is so handy and helpful and also sometimes kind of overwhelming to dig through. And, and thinking about how one of the things that hasn't changed is the thousand definitions of leadership. And I think, you know, you see kind of that connection. So the more literature that comes out, the more definitions of leadership I feel like there are. And things you sort of have to look at to, uh, to, to do the work that we're engaged in. Right, yeah. Well, Darby, from your perspective, you got your start in student affairs by developing leadership curriculum for a campus in the Middle East. How did that perspective influence what you think about when you think about leadership education? Uh, yeah, so it was, um, uh, you know, it was an interesting experience for sure. I think uh, it was the position that I was in was just kind of like a generalist uh, student affairs position, but it was for a, a branch campus that had just been created. Uh, so this is Carnegie Mellon University in Qatar. Um, it was 2007. 
Um, and, uh, you know, everything that we were doing was new, and so it was really cool to be able to, to, to create something from scratch, um, especially at a point in, I think, uh, higher ed history where, like, not really everything that you do is from scratch anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, leadership programs have existed, at least on my, on my home campus, um, for quite some time and elsewhere. And so um, I think it was a unique opportunity to be, to be able to do that, it, you know, in the time frame that I did it. Um, and, uh, but it was interesting because I think, you know, I came, I came with some, you know, very specific Western perspectives on what leadership was and, and how it was learned and how it was taught. And, um, and so we started developing the curriculum. We used the social change model as sort of the framework. And, you know, I think it was, it was an interesting experience because we learned that not everything works, um, <laughs> you know, around the world. Our, yeah. our views of leadership uh, don't really translate oftentimes to students, um, you know, in other countries, especially who experience different governance models. Um, you know, they're, they are more hierarchical. Um, and, you know, decision-making is um, top-down or bottom-up. And so the way that we have constructed leadership education and leadership theory here in the United States doesn't translate to other countries. And that was one of the first lessons that I learned in student affairs, not just with leadership, but with everything. Um, but it was very obvious early on by developing the curriculum and then delivering it to students who didn't think the same way about leadership as I did, that clearly we needed to think differently about how we teach it to different audiences. Um, and I'm really grateful that that was an early lesson that I learned because I think I've carried that lesson into um, a lot of other areas beyond just leadership education. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny how those formative experiences we have go on to shape our careers. And, and I think a lot of times we're not even cognizant of it at the time, right? It, You're going no, through this experience. Not. It's shaping your perspective. Yeah, and it's not until we look back that we would think, oh, wow, that really has enabled me to do a lot of really cool things going forward. Right. Well, so I think some of our listeners may have figured this out by now, or they may already know this, but you are a father-daughter editing and author duo, which what a really cool, fascinating, and probably complicated relationship. Uh, So what is it like? Yeah. Uh, What's it like working with family to do this work? Yeah. What's it like? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, I, you know, I I think – uh, we've had, we've worked, we've worked, we've authored together for, for a number of years actually. So at this point I think we've kind of found our, um, found our unique contributions to that relationship. I think I end up tending to be the detail oriented, copy editing, uh, formatting sort of person, um, you know, and certainly you know, contribute ideas as well. Um, but I often let, let Denny sort of take the lead on, on big, ideas and then um you know i will i will often try to bring those uh bring those ideas to the best way to to, to communicate them um but he, we joke that i am that i'm his that i'm his editor um i'm, I'm, I'm the real editor and he just gives ideas <laughs> um, but no it's really great and i and i would say that um you know so we worked professionally together as well you know we've, we've edited and authored together but we were both living in the middle east at the same time for three years um and that was um, – there's very few people, I think, that get to have such a close relationship with their professional mentor. Um, mm. And so I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful um, and lucky to have 
someone such as Denny, um, you know, being the um, the giant that he has in the, that he is in the field, which I didn't appreciate that until later in my career as well. well of course, um, of course, yeah. And yeah, and 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 to be able to have him as a family member and living in the Middle East and working for you know the same organization at the same time, um, I think. I, I, I underestimate, as you were saying earlier, you kind of underestimate the kind of learning that was happening at that time. I mm-hmm. underestimated the impact that that had on my early development as a professional. Um, and, um, and so it makes it all the more uh, fun and sweet and um, meaningful for me. Yeah. Awesome. Didn't yeah, you getting to see? Yeah. It's kind of, uh, it, it's humbling to, hear Darby talk and uh, we have enjoyed this work together immensely and as she said you know when we worked in Qatar I mean we explored lots and lots of ideas together and the origin of that uh, really goes back I mean she jokes about the fact that I was her student development experiment from the get-go I mean (laughs) even, even when she was she would I mean she got as a teenager she she got to the point she, that she would say, stop using that student development stuff on me. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it was always an experiment, you know, and I was always asking questions. And uh, it can be a little annoying, you know, I understand that. But uh, that's just kind of who I am. And it was incredible to have a daughter that was responsive to that and willing to play <laughs> to play along with the experiment. <laughs> and, Absolutely. <laughs> So it, it has been extraordinary. And, and as, I, as she said, I mean, I, I think just by virtue of age, it's nothing, it's nothing different about the way my brain functions. But when you have years of experience, you tend to think about bigger issues. And frankly, Darby is essential to help kind of, to kind of bring that down to some practical things and to do you know, the, the very detailed work of authoring. I mean, you have to have both division in order to be able to have something to say, and then you also have to have the ability to get it across. And I think we're a great team in making that happen. Awesome. Do you have to set up like ground rules, like no talking about leadership at birthday parties or things like that? <laughs> no, no ground rules. That was different okay. conversation since I can remember, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's move into this edition of uh, New Directions for Student Leadership on cultivating students' capacity for international leadership, which is obviously an area that you both have you know, really literally lived. Uh, give us a little bit of an overview of the issue. What does it mean to talk about this topic, cultivating students' capacity for international leadership? Right. Well, there, there were two ideas that we really wanted to get across, and it's really kind of captured in the uh, editor's notes as well as the first chapter. And the two main concerns were that, particularly because we had both worked internationally, and then Darby, of course, has gone on to work much more with international students in the U.S. context. So her entire professional experience is with international students, whereas mine's kind of mixed. And... The awareness of working abroad was really quite startling that uh, when you come back to the U.S. from an experience like that, you realize how much under a bubble much of U.S. higher education is Mm -hmm. and that there's just not a realization that you're a part of a a very connected, bigger world. And uh, so the first idea that we were trying to get across was that 
in fact, as leadership educators, we have a responsibility to prepare students for this international community that we're already in. This is not something that's coming in the future. We're in it now. And uh, if you look at many, many leadership programs across um, the country and around the world, um, there tends to be you know, kind of an ethnocentrism to it uh, based on the, the culture of the, the people that are in the immediate environment. So we kind of try to break through that. The other big idea here was that uh, you know, we're in some challenging times politically, economically, uh, from a sustainability point of view. I mean, there are some, some very big issues out there. And there are those who are painting the difficulties of the life or the world that we live in as kind of insurmountable. And you have people saying, you know, only I can solve these problems for you. Well, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, we need lots of people, and that's why inclusive leadership learning is so critical, is that we need a way to invite young people into addressing the issues that we face as a world community. And... This is a, a world, I think, that is full of optimism. There's lots of good stuff going on, and we as leadership educators need to make sure that students know that they, they, are, they have uh, efficacy in making a difference, that they have ideas, that the solutions are in them. They're not in someone else. So those are the two key issues are, you know, the fact that we live in an international world, and secondly, that we need to all adopt kind of an informed optimism so that we can actually empower people to, to get to work. So those were the, the big ideas behind it. And uh, we really wanted to urge leadership educators to dive into this. Uh, many leadership educators don't have international experience, and the book is full of authors who have either lived internationally or they are international, and they have really, really good insights on what can be done to create this international emphasis within leadership programs. And this is not a set-aside. This integrates into all of leadership learning these ideas about the international community where we live. Absolutely. I love that idea of disinformed optimism really shaping the conversation and, and our ability as leadership educators to bring all of these different students and perspectives and ideas in, into the conversation. I think that's, that, it, it's hopeful and it's exciting for us going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, so for both of you, from your perspectives, I want to hear what were some big surprises for you as you edited this volume? What came up that you weren't expecting? I mean, I, I can offer um, not, I mean, we knew that the, the authors were quality, high quality authors. I think uh, we weren't sure how people were going to sort of respond to this big call of, of um, you know, optimism um, and rethinking things. Uh, but for me, I think one of the uh, really pleasant surprise was that, that authors took it on. They really went deep and they really took the time to think critically about um, what these questions mean, what it meant for them, really pulling on their experiences to, um, you know, discover new areas of thought. Um, uh, you know, again, they, they, we, all, we, we chose good authors, but I think that we were pleasantly surprised, I was pleasantly surprised, um, that they really did answer the call um, and get, go deep on some of these issues. Hmm, absolutely. And you can see that in a lot of the work that's in there, a lot of the just real depth of, of thinking and work. 
Denny, what about you? Well, and uh, I, I don't know how the other authors for the New Directions and Student Leadership series approach this, but we drafted actually the the, the uh, lead chapters, so the editor's notes and the first chapter, and sent that out as along with the invitation for the people to join us in writing. So we had some coherence from the very beginning because we were you know trying to define internationalization versus globalization. We were trying to uh, talk about inclusive leadership. We wanted to have some basics that everybody bought into. So I think that that brought coherence to the overall volume so that, in fact, the other authors could then relate to that idea and then uh, bring their own meaning to it. Uh, so the, uh, you know, and, and I, I would agree, I mean, even though you always work with uh, variation in terms of the way people write and that kind of thing. Uh, we were really very uh, pleasantly uh, gratified that we'd chosen really good authors that would work with us and go back and forth in terms of the writing. And we actually beat our deadline very significantly in terms of our timeline. Uh, most of our authors got all the chapters in on time. And this is a logistical detail that probably not anybody else wants to know about, but when you're working with something like this, you, you have to have timely responses. And yeah. uh, you, you can't wait around when you've got a, a publication deadline. And so uh, we were very pleased to have most of our authors do a just great job with that. Yeah, I would imagine as, as editors, having everybody meet their deadline is probably a pretty big surprise, actually. Yeah, so that's an exciting, <laughs> encouraging development. Well, so let me get in a little bit to some of these chapters. And, and Darby, there's a chapter written by Donna Lee, and I want to read you a quote that, that she has in her chapter. And she says this, working at the intersection of internationalization and multiculturalism, applying both lenses in programs and teaching in and out of the classroom, offers students transformative opportunities to see the world as it is, fully diverse and creative. Through efforts to cross domestic and international boundaries, students who will provide leadership for the future in our world will become more effective in responding to the complexities of the world and developing viable solutions for addressing some of the most challenging issues of our time. I think that is a huge, big statement that, that's really exciting for the work. So Darby, tell us about for you, what is the intersection between multiculturalism, internationality, and leadership development? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I would say Donna's chapter is probably one of my favorites. It's not my favorite, even more favorite than the one that I actually wrote for the book. <laughs> um, but, you know, professionally, this is really important to me because I, I, you know, I work in international student services. I do international education. Um, you know, I think it, it particularly hit home for me because we're talking about this on, our, on my campus right now at Southern New Hampshire University. Um, there is, I think that there is a big push towards sort of diversity uh, in race and ethnicity on university campuses um, mm -hmm. and not as much about other areas of diversity. Um, but um, they are the manifestations of, of diversity at all levels uh, look very similar. I would say, you know, our, our domestically diverse students, the students of color um, in particular, um, face the same issues that our international students face here on this campus in terms of marginality, um, having a voice, feeling welcome, feeling like they belong. 
Um, and so from a, you know, from a basic standpoint, I think that there is some significant uh, intersectionality of just the students in that space. Not only are there students who might go to the, we have an Office of Diversity Programs, um, and I work very closely with the director of that office. There are students who frequent both of our offices um, because they are, um, you know, they might have uh, an international, uh, like they might have an international passport, but they've lived here in the United States for long enough that they actually interact with domestic students more comfortably than they do with international students. But they are from, you know, they're, they're children of immigrants or they immigrated with their family um, as children and haven't naturalized yet. And so there's some very real intersectionality in terms of identity between students uh, from multicultural backgrounds and, and international students. Um, those two those two groups of students are not wholly separate. Um, and I think that that's a fallacy that many people assume about campuses is that, oh, well, the Office of Diversity Programs is for domestic students and the Office of International Students is for international students. That's not the case. The international offices, my, my office in particular, um, does multicultural programming, and we do it in combination with the Office of Diversity Program on purpose uh, because we know that we serve mul multiple different populations. So from a transactional perspective, from a demographic perspective, I think that there's some real tangible intersectionality there. I think from a conceptual perspective, um, you know, as I said, students, um, students from those identities um, experience the same challenges. And um, as Donna said in her chapter, Students who are able to, to understand and challenge and uh, work in both areas, um, they, they gain a sense of intersectionality about the world and understanding about the world that they will be able to put, uh, put into practice uh, when they go out into the workplace. Uh, and that is leadership development. Um, that is gaining leadership skills to interact with a multitude of different types of people from different types of backgrounds and having the, the, um, the cultural knowledge to be able to move between, those, between many different groups um, and understand themselves in relation to those groups, how to work with them best, um, what styles of leadership to use in different contexts. Um, you know, the, the, another fallacy would be that um, one style of leadership works in all, the, in all United States contexts. I said earlier, you know, leadership education in America doesn't work in other countries, but even within our own country's context, um, you know, the concept of governance here, um, we, th we think about democracy, but is democracy really serving all U.S. citizens in America? I would argue no. Um, and so understanding how to transcend some of those assumptions and some of those groupings really is a part of the leadership development journey for students and hopefully something that they would graduate uh, from our college campuses being able to do. Yeah, that's a big, I think, skill acquisition for our students that's, that, as you said, is not just good and valuable, but is necessary and is becoming more and more mm -hmm. necessary for our students to be able to work across populations and, and through these different identities and, and understand what that means for them themselves as individuals and as leaders. Right, and I think if I could just add one more thing, I think oftentimes when you talk about um, you know, uh, international leadership or international concepts of leadership, um, oftentimes uh, the response from faculty and staff as well as students is, oh, well, I'm not, 
you know, I don't live in a diverse place. I don't live in a city. I'm not planning on living abroad, so this doesn't apply to me. Mm. Um, but because of the intersectional, intersectional nature of multiculturalism and internationality, it absolutely applies to them. Um, not only is it, is, it, is it wrong to believe that we'll never interact with someone from outside of this country just because we happen to live in a rural, um, right. you know, in a rural city, um, but we are simultaneously impacted by globalization um, and, um, and, and everything that comes with that. And so to say, well, this doesn't apply to me is just, is just flat out wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's inaccurate, just straight up incorrect yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, so Denny, one of the other chapters in the book is by John Dugan, who applies uh, the critical perspectives he has been working on to this idea of international leadership. How do you see these critical perspectives influencing the future of the work that we do? Right. Well, actually, one of the fascinating things about John Dugan's chapter is that uh, we actually asked him to write a different chapter. And uh, we, we thought he was going to do a kind of a survey of uh, theory. Uh, that would relate to internationalizing those theories. You know, so what would you do if you tried to uh, use existing theory? And he came back and he said, you know, I'm not really in the mood to write that. I really would rather write about critical perspectives. And he was absolutely right. And it gave us, therefore, one of the best chapters in the book by doing a brief a summary of the other book that he's already written on critical perspectives applied to leadership. So what you got in that chapter is kind of the Reader's Digest version of his broader book. And it's absolutely essential to the whole idea of uh, international leadership for exactly the reasons that Darby just described. Uh, identity is at the center of this. And uh, when we begin to understand our own identities and affirm our own identities, then we can take a more critical perspective as to how do theories either work or not work for us. And, uh, you know, as an example from both our work in uh, Qatar, it was the first time as, you know, an admittedly white, male, privileged American to understand that my identity affected my interactions with everyone around me. And when you live in a, a, a place in the world where you are the majority and you dominate the conversation, which is personified in my identity, mm -hmm. you just don't get the point that sometimes the way that you see things doesn't work for other people. But when you work in another cultural context like the Middle East and Qatar, wow, you know, every conversation I had was impacted by a cultural lens, every conversation. And if I was not aware of that and didn't have a critical perspective to be able to analyze how what I was doing, the way I was behaving, the signals I was giving, if I was not able to, to dissect that in order to be more effective, I would have been a serious failure. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I didn't learn everything I needed to learn. I'm still learning now, but I learned a lot, you know, from that experience. And John's uh, chapter just gives a really nice way to think about critical perspectives that's very kind of down to earth and uh, is essential to the rest of the book. Absolutely. Yeah. So for, for both of you, 
what do you think when we talk about leadership education and, and you know leadership educators are, are a lot of our audience what do you think that leadership education what role do leadership educators play in shaping the overall future and direction of higher education both in america and internationally Darby and I were actually having a brief conversation uh, offline this morning before we came on with you, Jan, John Mark, and uh, uh, Darby was referencing actually an article I've not read yet, but it's uh, it's about uh, internationalization and whether the kind of the, the luster has come off of this idea of internationalization, mm -hmm. and uh, so she can talk more in detail about what is in that article. But, you know, I think from a, from a leadership educator's point of view, I just, I think that all leadership educators need to understand that they need to partner, you know, with, uh, with various faculty and other staff on campus and students to push forward in terms of this idea of internationalization. I don't really understand how we can even exist in a higher ed world where you wouldn't embrace the, the essential nature of the international world we live in. And so I think that leadership educators, you know, this isn't just a, an add-on and kind of a, a, a nice twist to add to our programs. This is dead center in terms of what we need to help students understand. Very what else does, did this critique about internationalization, what else was this raising? when you read that today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I think that there are some parallels uh, between what we're talking about with leadership education and international education. Um, so I know that there, part of the critique of leadership education right now is that, uh, you know, leadership education is failing to produce, you know, adequate leaders for the changing times that we live in. Um, because it, it chose to go the easy route, the superficial route, the non-critical route. Um, and that's essentially what, our, what, our, what this book is, is suggesting, is that we need to do that. Leadership educators play a role in shaping the future and direction of, 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 of uh, the field in that they, people who do the work are setting the agenda. They are, they are determining what we talk about. And if they continue to not talk about international issues, um, you know, critical issues, um, all the things that are in this book, then we're doing our students a disservice. Um, it is much, it is very similar to what this article was saying, which is basically internationalization, international education, the boom that happened in the early, uh, you know, in the late 2000s, early 20-teens, um, failed to do all that it promised to do um, in that internationalization was never just about mobility, but it has become primarily about mobility. And in focusing on just mobility, because it's easy to measure, right? We do things that are easy to measure and easy to be proud of. It's easy to measure students in and out. It's much harder to measure, um, you know, faculty engagement. It's much harder to measure global learning outcomes in your curriculum. It's much harder to do the things that, that were the absolute purpose of internationalization, which is that it could reach everybody. Um, 
And, and because we've only focused on the mobility of a small number of students, we've missed the opportunity. Uh, we have previously missed the opportunity um, to do deep learning in internationalization, which is to reach all students. And so I see some parallels between the leadership education world and the international education world and that in an effort to measure, in an effort to superficially check the box and say that we've done a good job, we've ultimately um, lost a deeper calling for the work and have also not reached the full potential of either of those fields. Um, and, and, and John, Mike, this is exactly why Darby and I work so well, so well together. I mean, uh, I, uh, the, the relationship here is just profound. And as you know, in the editor's notes, we uh, reference Barbara Kellerman, uh, who in her book, uh, Professionalizing Leadership, really offers a very severe critique of the leadership industry for not having gone deep enough and pushes the leadership industry to move on, you know, get serious. And that's really what we're asking in this book, is we're, we're saying leadership educators we need, we need to understand the weight of the work that we're involved in, and we need to uh, pay attention to uh, the coherence of our messages and uh, the impact that we're having, and we need to connect that with uh, the, the real world we live in, the international world. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, it's a big question. It's a big challenge, but it's also such a fantastic opportunity for us. I mean, when I think about the work that we do and, and, and the, the roles that we play, we have such potential and such ability to, you know, create and develop students of influence and students who have real capacity uh, to create positive change in their communities. Correct. That's a serious calling. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I've got, I've got one last question, uh, and uh, I'd like to hear from both of you, from each of you, for you, what is the next question about leadership that you are thinking about? And Darby, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a, it's a continuation of the work that we've done with this book. I think um, uh, my mind is in the international education world. Um, and, you know, as far as leadership I, I, my, my question isn't about leadership education necessarily, but about leadership in the context of international education. Um, you know, the field of international education, I realize this is a leadership podcast, but I'm just going to go with it because it's my, it's my you know, it's sure. my, my field. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, the, there is, um, you know, I don't think there's just a crisis, uh, you know, in leadership education. I think it's a crisis in leadership everywhere. Um, and, and as I think about my field um, and the potential real volatility of, of student mobility, um, you know, the numbers that are, that are coming out right now are not uh, great. There's a lot of decline right now, um, even though our total number of international students is up year over year, barely, that this is the second year in a row that the number of new international students has declined um, mm. for the United States. Um, so it's not just a one-year blip. We're looking at a trend. And there are particular areas that are um, that are especially uh, prone to declines like um, in English as a second language study. Um, and, and, you know, I think as we think about the, the future of international education, um, thinking about what, what have we missed, you know, because we focused on student mobility, what have we missed? And what are the opportunities 
of leadership to take on some of those bigger questions. They're hard questions. They're difficult. You have to engage everybody. It's not, you know, it's much, uh, thinking about mobility is very provincial um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, it's just the study abroad office and just the ISS office, right? We're talking about engaging everybody in international education. That's a leadership issue. Um, that, is a, that is an issue for leadership in international education to take on. And I think there are parallels to the leadership industry because the question, you know, it, it, it's all about involving everybody in the conversation around leadership. Um, you know, I think that's some of the stuff that we talked about in the book as well as Barb Kellerman. Um, how do you involve everybody in this process? Um, I think there's a natural tendency towards territoriality and silos um, and the desire to be relevant. Um, and that's, you know, that's human. Um, mm -hmm. But how do we get beyond that to, to really engage an entire community in what it means to be a leader? What does it mean to do international education? Only until we, we let go of our desire to control that conversation do we truly open up for the ability to everybody, for, for everybody to be able to contribute. Um, and that's scary for a lot of yeah. people. You know, if, if, if for leadership educators, if you say, well, we're, you know, we may be, we may, you know, we think of ourselves as the experts, but actually maybe we're not the experts and maybe some other people have the ability to contribute here. You don't know what people are going to say, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and so that's, that can be a really tough thing to let go of, but I think until we're able to do that with leadership as well as international education, um, we're not going to be doing true transformative work in, in any of these areas. And so for me, that would be the next big question. That's a pretty small one, right? Pretty easy to answer, right? That's a, that's a good <laughs> <next question. laughs> no, no big deal there. Well, well, what about you, Denny? What are you thinking about? Well, Actually, it's a very concrete uh, issue, and uh, it does spin out of the the, uh, the context that Darby describes. And uh, I, I had a very unusual opportunity to actually interview Barbara Kellerman about the professionalizing leadership book. Uh, I did it as a uh, piece for the International Leadership Association, and. Barbara and I kind of connected on this. We'd known each other for a number of years, but she actually, uh, in her call for professionalizing leadership, uh, she uh, referenced uh, actually the work that I had done in 1981, but did it kind of naively, and she didn't really know the details. And so in the interaction with her, I informed her that, yeah, we had been in student affairs working on leadership development for over 40 years. She was stunned. She had no idea of the literature. She had no idea that there were caste standards. She had no idea about all of that. And as a true, really good scholar, she said, well, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got into just some wild conversations that were really very, very powerful. And I kind of unwittingly set her up to challenge the International Leadership Association to uh, get on with work of establishing standards for uh, leadership learning. And uh, so uh, that's the issue that I'm most concerned about. Uh, ILA is taking this on, which I think is terrific, but that needs to be an inclusive conversation, just like Darby is saying. And uh, student affairs people need to understand we've actually been at this business longer than our academic colleagues have. We actually have 
a firmer foundation for the work that we're doing than most faculty do. And we need to step up. We need to be a part of these conversations. We need to honor our own work. And we need to help create a standards movement across multiple sectors in terms of what are we talking about in leadership because I think unfortunately there's lots of evidence that leadership is failing in lots of places. And that's what Barbara says in her book. And we need to be a part of getting a return on, on investment on this. Uh, we're investing a lot of time, a lot of resources to try to foster leadership learning. And we, we need to be really, really serious about it. And it's not that this work isn't fun. Of course it's fun. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun and enjoyable. But it's all also very deep, as, as you've also said, John Mark. So that's what I'm concerned about right now is, is standards. And I think it's going to happen. And uh, uh, all of us in academic student affairs and other areas need to be a part of this conversation, engage it, really get into it. Absolutely. I think it's a great, great place to leave it. I think it's a really inspiring uh, idea to think from both of you about the, the the weight, the importance, and also the fun of the work that we do and the great things that we hopefully are moving towards as a field. So uh, thank you to everybody for joining us today for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, which is presented by NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. If you're interested in finding out more, you can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash SALead. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at NASPA, S-L-P-K-C, or on Instagram at NASPA underscore S-L-P-K-C. And you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at John Mark Day. And if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, if you have suggestions on topics we should be talking about or people we should be talking to, please let us know. Uh, send us an email to NASPAleaderpodcast at gmail.com, uh, and we'll set up that conversation. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening, and I want to send a huge thanks to uh, Dennis Roberts, Darby Roberts, for the great work that you've done, for being our guest today, and for a really fantastic conversation. So thank you. Uh, thanks, Denny and Darby, for being here. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Thank you all so much, and we will talk with you next time.